Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, November 30th is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. I'm sick of it! The Chicago Federation of Labor. I'm sick of it! The Chicago Teachers Union. I'm sick of it! And of course, Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can and chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, November 30th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's a city council synopsis with the one, the only, Mr. Bike, yeah, and Mr. City Council, Dave Glowatz. And now your host, Mr. Attic Guy, <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody, Ben Jarofsky. We're calling this Jussie's Back Tuesday, and here's why. Because Jesse's back. Jesse Smollett. You thought Smollett Gate had gone away, ladies and gentlemen? Uh-uh. It's on the front page of both newspapers. Here you go, D. We haven't done this in a while. By the way, we're going to save a lot of this up because Dennis and I are going to have a field day on Friday when we do, oh, what a, oh, what a week it was. Actually, there's no more was, but whatever. Oh, what a week. All right, here you go, D. Just a quick, just to see how good you are, if you're on your toes. Tribune versus Suntime headline battle. Oh, right each, on. E- each paper. Battle of the headlines, but go ahead. <laughs> you can just edit that out. Uh, you know, just edit it. So battle of the headline. What did I say? Uh, headline battle. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, the Tribunal or the Suntimes, each thought uh, was of all the news in the world, it was very important to put Justice Millett on the front page of the paper, ladies and gentlemen. This this story has become a farce. This story has become a caricature of itself. The fact that so much emphasis is being put on Justice Millett's uh, crimes against humanity. We're spending so much money prosecuting. So much uh, police time was spent investigating. And now... Let's go get them. And I'm reading uh, Andy Grimm, who I think does the best job of covering this of anybody uh, in the city of Chicago from the Chicago Sun-Times, saying that he'll probably get off with probation. Are you kidding me? After all this? Well, it gives us something to talk about and entertains us, and it gives us an opportunity to play Battle of the Headlines. Oh, man. Here we go. That's cool. That noise is awesome. I really do like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> ah, you know, I worked it out. What's Phil? Wait, who's the the person in our uh, our special effects department? I forgot. I oh, can't even remember her name, huh? My uh, gosh, Sally Sue. I think Sally Sue uh, was the one who came up with that. It's right, just so me, guys. Uh, the Chicago Tribune headline: They a picture of uh, Justice Smollett with his mask on, looking very uh, dignified in a tie, and the headline is Smollett trial begins. Smollett trial begins. Okay, that's the headline in the tribunal. My beloved bright one, home delivered oh, every day. Brother, here we go. <laughs> Villain or victim? I was expecting Villain no puns. I was expecting a pun. Yeah, no pun. Let's see if we're, so. Uh, let's see if we go inside. Uh, no, it's a snoozer on the inside. Jury chosen for Smollett trial. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bright one, wake up! All right. Anyway, so which one do you like better, D? I mean, I, I, I'm a suck. I don't, not really sure of the rest of the articles, but I'm a sucker for those Tribune headlines. Yeah, <laughs> Smollett trial begins. It's uh, they're spending so much money on that trial. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And uh, the police manpower. Good God. I mean, they were like really eager to prove him wrong, and they've mounted such a, a, a like overwhelming case against the guy. And meanwhile, his lawyer is saying it wasn't him; he's the victim. Okay. Anyway, uh, that's the story. We'll probably be talking about that uh, later this week. Also, we'll be talking about Rodney Davis. Uh, we like, you know, we like to keep you guys up to date on what MAG is doing in the state of Illinois. Now, Rodney Davis declared, I don't know if you saw this, Dave, that Rodney Davis is not Congressman Rodney Davis. He was sort of kind of like the mild manner Republican, the Republican, the kind of Republican that Republicans realize they need to run if they're going to win in a blue state against an incumbent governor, the kind of thing that they did in Virginia, where you get a mild manner Republican who just says just enough MAGA stuff to convince MAGA he's okay without alienating MAGA, but not too far so that like suburbanites who hate taxes and want a Republican that will cut their taxes go, I like this guy. <laughs> so that, that was, uh, that was their Rod, Rodney Davis was their candidate. He's a congressman, mild manner guy. Hey, I'm Rodney. Well, it turns out he's running for reelection. And you know what? The democratic map was set up. To guarantee this, they said like they were like dangled this district in front of him. Here you go, Rodney. Look, look at the district. Look at the district. It's so favorable to you. Why run against Pritzker? He's got all that money. And then uh, you know Kenny G in the background, Kenny Griffith, you know who bank, has threatened to bankroll any Republican running against JB. Is like oh, I got money too. But nope, it looks like Rodney Davis is going to run uh, for Congress, which means he's going to run against. Uh, looks like he's going to run against Mary Miller. I, I'm basing this everything on what Lynn Sweet said in today's Bright One. Lynn Sweet, political columnist uh, for the Bright One. So uh, that will be interesting. Can a mild manner Republican defeat a red-blooded MAGA Republican in a Republican primary? I don't know. I don't care how favorable that district is made for Rodney Davis because all the, qu- the quote-unquote swing voters – uh, and the Democrats are going to be voting who might be open to vote ele- uh, voting for him will be re- participating in the Democratic primary. So uh, I, I I don't know um, that uh, that's going to be a very interesting one. We'll be uh, watching that and talking about that. 
Uh, I got to tell you, D, I didn't tell you this. I, do, I did tell you this. I uh, f- It was my birthday or, or last week. Yes, thank you, everybody. I am now uh, 38. And uh, sure. as a birth, yeah, I know I look good for 38. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm around 38. I've been around 38 twice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, um, got a laugh out of it. I got two laughs out of Dennis today. Uh, anyway, for my birthday present, my wife bought me five, count them, five bulls hats. So people may say, Ben, you got a problem. And I'm going, no, I don't have a problem. <laughs> well, maybe I do have a problem, but I don't care if I have that problem. So I'm wearing one of my new bulls hats. Dennis is looking at it, like since I got five of them. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, And then uh, I spent the uh, Thanksgiving, long Thanksgiving weekend, because we didn't do a show Friday. Uh, So it was a long weekend. I spent uh, most of it, it seemed like, watching the Beatles documentary. And uh, so this, of course, is the documentary that's on, uh, what is it, Disney, where, uh, thank you, Frank, by the way, thanks to Frank, I have access to Disney. Uh, And um, uh, the Beatles shot, there was a lot of footage shot back in 1969 when the Beatles were recording Let It Be, and they were doing it for the the documentary that eventually came out called Let It Be. And there were hundreds of hours of footage left over. And somebody discovered, I don't know who, and Peter Jackson, the great director, decided he would put it together as his own documentary. He got the blessing of Yoko Ono and uh, Olivia Harrison, George Harrison's uh, widow, and uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. And I'll tell you what, folks, this is not for the faint of heart. you got to be a diehard Beatle fan to go there. The first... Two hours of this documentary is like shots of Ringo falling asleep. They're in a studio. They're, it's a, they're waiting. Like they're waiting around for John Lennon, who's always late uh, for every rehearsal. And uh, so they're just sitting there and just time is ticking. And they just show Ringo Starr just kind of drifting off. I'm like, man. This, this documentary... It, requires a certain amount of allegiance and love and adoration for the Beatles. uh, That's for sure. And, uh, but I I soldiered through and loved every, well, I can't say I loved every minute. I I really enjoyed the last part of it. Uh, So we'll probably be talking about that with Ramon Hussein. She's been dutifully watching it as well uh, on, uh, and we'll be talking to Justice Millett with Ramon later this week and uh, Andy Grimm. So we'll be following all these stories that I just talked about Uh, later on the wing today. We're going to be talking with uh, Dave Glowatz, uh, Mr. Bike, Mr. City Council. Young Dave Glowatz has joined us, the man uh, better known as Mr. Bike or sometimes known as Mr. City Council from inside Chicago government. Uh, welcome back, Cotter. It's great to be here. All right. Uh, as has become our practice uh, over the last several shows featuring Dave, uh, I am not aware of the cuts he has set up to play. He's got five of them. I think we'll get through all five, uh, five cuts from recent city council meetings. I have no idea what they are. I don't know who is going to be speaking. This is pure improv on my part. Am I nervous? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. You don't but, look nervous. Um, <laughs> look at my hand. It's steady. Uh, but I shoot with this one. Sorry. <laughs> it's from Blazing Saddles. Old movie. Bad joke. All right, uh, Dave. So without further ado. I love it when you speak French. Today we're going to hear parts of the full city council meeting that took place on November 17th. Plus we'll hear several excerpts from other city council activity. And we'll hear from a meeting of the Chicago Police Board, which I'd call a quasi-judicial body 
appointed by the mayor that has final say on discipline of individual police officers. Dennis, please, we're going to do a point first. At the beginning of the November 17 City Council meeting, Ben, the city clerk, as usual, read a series of measures introduced by Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We're going to hear the clerk announce one such measure and then say which committee would consider it. At that point, as we've discussed in the past, any alderman could call out a different committee, which would then send the measure to the rules committee, thereby adding one more step and slowing down the measure. That's what happened here. After that, we'll hear the mayor's reaction at a press conference. Then finally, we'll hear part of a speech at the November 18 meeting of the Chicago Police Board. Let's listen. Ladies and gentlemen, I have appointed Andrea Kirsten as the Chief Administrator of the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. Favorable consideration of this appointment will be appreciated for the Committee on Public Safety. Two committees are being called the Committee on Public Safety and Committee on Housing. The matter is referred to the Committee on Committees and Roles. As we've seen, unfortunately, over the course of the last year in particular, predictable people do predictable things. So the fact that somebody sent that nomination to rules, not a shock whatsoever. And in fact, I gave Andrew a heads up that that was likely a possibility because we see, unfortunately, how some members of the council have used the procedural tools as a cudgel instead of trying to work productively. Andrea Kirsten deserves a hearing. I think she's the most qualified person of the applicants that were put forward to me. Now, having said that, I've been very clear. I thought it didn't make sense for COPA to put out a recent report that had Officer French's name in it. It was tone deaf, and it was absolutely unnecessary. So I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say. I'm aware that she's going to be making some kind of statement tomorrow at the police board, but she's got a lot to do and explain to the members of the city council why she is best qualified to move from the acting role to the full-time chief administrator of COPA. I have profound regret and sadness that the work of our agency has in any way hurt the French family and those who mourn her. And I will work steadfastly to ensure that a situation such as this never happens again. There is more that COPA could have done to message publicly the timeline and the circumstances surrounding Officer French's inclusion in our report. COPA did not and never would make a posthumous disciplinary recommendation against any officer, and we did not do so against Officer Ella French. All disciplinary recommendations COPA made in this matter were made on April 27, 2021, when our investigation was concluded and the summary report and file were sent to the Chicago Police Department. COPA also had an obligation to publish its report of investigation when and how we did under our ordinance, the consent decree, and applicable FOIA provisions. COPA had an obligation to the timely and transparent release of our report, which we did on November 10th, 2021. Let us remember that there was profound public pressure surrounding COPA's investigation into the raid on Ms. Anjanette Young's home, but COPA still followed its process. Part of that process meant we were unable to immediately release our report in April while we awaited the superintendent's 90-day review and service of discipline against officers. When we release reports to the public, COPA does not alter or redact more information than the law permits. Unless prohibited by court order or other law, despite a family's wishes, COPA adheres to the mandated policy and releases the information. This is a difficult job. 
And to do it well, we must make a commitment not to be swayed by public opinion, political pressure, or personal emotion, but to adhere to all of the mandates that govern our agency. Transparency is vital to public trust, but it only works when it's consistent. I would welcome a conversation to examine a process for ensuring a situation like this never happens again. Furthermore, there are opportunities here for COPA to share with the police department our approach for engaging impacted civilians and their families as they navigate this complex oversight system. These conversations could help the department to develop practices for how and when officers and their families are notified of COPA's transparency releases and what role, if any, COPA could play in that process. Shall I give a little background? Yes, go ahead. Well, the former chief of what we, this acronym we keep hearing, COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, which is the agency that investigates, independent agency that investigates most police misconduct that involves the public. Uh, her name was, the, the former chief was Sidney Roberts, but Ms. Roberts resigned in May, after which Mayor Lightfoot appointed a woman named Andrea Kirsten as the interim chief. Fast forward to November, when COPA released its recommendations for discipline of police officers involved in the improper raid of the Chicago woman named Anjanette Young. And one of the police officers who received a recommendation of discipline was Officer Ella French, who later died in the line of duty uh, this year. And the, the, the confluence events, the, uh, the death of Ms. French and the release of the report stating that she should receive discipline for her role in the raid, touched off a big firestorm, which resulted, among other things, uh, a letter from uh, 20 Chicago aldermen urging the mayor not to uh, uh, recommend Andrea Kirsten as the new chief of COPA because she was involved in the authoring of that set of recommendations. Yes. Are you done with uh, your cursory explanation? All right. I want to weigh in. Uh, you know, I started this show by talking about what a joke uh, the Justice Smollett uh, case is. Uh, but this is sort of an extension about this. This is uh, politics in the criminal justice system. Uh, mayoral politics, automatic politics all coming together. Uh, and to set up convenient straw men that you can knock down and look good to your uh, constituency, knocking them down, people who already agree with you. So in this particular case, uh, the improper is, I think there was the word you used, raid right, on Anjanette Young's house. That's why this story is, I uh, can't believe it's been a full year. This thing hasn't been resolved yet. So back in 2019, ladies and gentlemen, about 12 uh, Chicago police officers uh, conducted a raid on Anjanette Young's home on the west side of Chicago. Uh, Anjanette Young has been on the show. If you want to hear more about it from her point of view, you can go track down uh, the interview. Uh, she was completely unaware that the raid was coming and she'd been taking a shower and she stepped out of her shower stark uh, naked. It was her house, after all, at roughly the same time the police came barging through the front door. Uh, I would say within a minute, uh, police could have realized that they had the wrong house, which is what the case was. They had the wrong address. Uh, but nope, they kept that thing going for a while. I forget how many minutes. Around 40 at least. 40 minutes naked. Yeah. Dave Savini, a shout out one more time. Every time I talk about this, you got to give Dave Savini credit. 
uh, from Channel 2 News. This is one of those stories that if you don't have a bulldog reporter uh, constantly reporting, it'll get buried. Just like the sex scandal at the uh, Park District, if it wasn't for Danny Milopoulos, that story would have been buried. Uh, that's how we do it in Chicago. Uh, if if they hadn't gone to court to force Mayor Rahm kicking and screaming every step of the way to give up the LaCroix McDonald uh, video, that story would have been buried. You uh, might be so, our mayor. Yes, he. Oh God. <laughs> yes, he probably would. No, he would have run again. And the citizens of Chicago, with great moments in their electoral history, would have uh, voted for him again. So anyway, we see this obvious case, thanks to Dave Savini, of police. What? It was a mistake. Okay, I'll give him I'll give him that. But they went too far with it. Uh, they they were very cruel to her. Ironically, the one police officer, according to Anjanette Young, who showed some uh, humaneness, some s- common sense was Ella French. Ella French was later, as uh, Dave said, shot, killed. I think it was this September. Well, meanwhile, there's a report. The city of Chicago is doing its own investigations, taking its time. Try, really would have buried it. There would have been nothing if it wasn't for Dave Savini. But they're forced to because it's such an outrageous videotape that everybody saw. They're forced to. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, by the way, she uh, it's so funny that she's grandstanding on this one because I still have Dave. I still have. I will not throw it away. The press release. I'm showing Dave Glowatz the press release right now. Well, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said, and I quote, today I became aware of an incident involving Miss Anjanette Young from February 2019 before I became mayor. And I saw a video today for the first time. I had no knowledge of either until today. Not true. We subsequently learned, oops, that wasn't true. So the mayor, I got to give her credit. Whenever she says something that's not true or makes her look bad, she's really good at changing the subject. So they did this investigation and they put in the truth, which is that uh, Ella French was written up for her role in the raid, even though she was the kindest police officer that day to Anjanette Young. She was written up for her role. That's a fact, ladies and gentlemen. If I may interject, I believe, according to the reports, uh, Officer French um, stopped a person on the street on the way into the raid and she didn't report it. And that's technically what she got cited for. Yeah, she was. And I think she didn't have her police camera on. The point is this. She was written up. It was an investigation and they wrote her up. And so now what? You're supposed to edit the official investigation? I've already talked about this. My point of view is you can't edit an official investigation. You can't take things out of it. We're supposed to be a transparent city. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said, what did she say? I'm going to let the light shine. Isn't that what she said or something like that? The light will shine and we'll be the most transparent city, which is really funny because I thought under Mayor Rahm, we were going to be the most transparent city. It's funny. We have all these mayors dedicated to transparency and they bury anything that would make them look bad. And it's only because of bulldog reporters like Danny Milopoulos and Dave Savini that we ever see this stuff. Well, in the mayor's defense, Ben, if the mayor actually thought that Ms. Kirsten was uh, negligent or incompetent, she wouldn't have nominated her to be the permanent head of COPA. So she did. But she tried to have it both ways. Yeah. One could How say by saying that, that by, by naming French in the report, it was, quote, tone deaf, unquote. How is that in the defense of the mayor? 
Well, what you just said made her look even going, worse. She's not going as far as these 20 aldermen who say, no, 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 this woman, Ms. Kirsten, does not deserve to be head of COPA because of that, uh, what they view as a, uh, uh, an atrocity, a, uh, a dis- an impropriety, to put it mildly. Well, I, I hardly think that's a ringing defense. If that's her best defense, good God. <laughs> that's a, but she but she's standing behind Ms. Kirsten. Yeah, the mayor, so, the mayor standing behind Ms. Kirsten as her uh, chief of COPA. While to your point, having it both ways, cr- sort of criticizing Ms. Kirsten and saying we'll do things differently later. And I'm like, what would you do differently? Now, my suggestion, which of course since I made it would never be followed, would be that you know what you might you could write an appendage to the report that say subsequently. Uh, Ella French died in the line of duty uh, and Anjanette Young has praised her. You could put something like that in there. The report but, came out in April and, and Officer French died in September. Yeah, what I'm saying is that subsequently, after she died, or you're aware of that report, you could put an and appendage it. You could, yeah. And uh, you could do that if you wanted. But you shouldn't take out, you shouldn't, you shouldn't eradicate public information that'd be like in in chinatown your favorite movie which is still by the way this really part of chinatown really irritates me i know we're in a tangent we're in a tangent dave but the part where jack nicholson goes to the board of records and he do you remember this part and and he's got it's all it. the records of the lands wait hold it time out what did you just say i was asleep that year you did not see chinatown sorry I'm sorry. Leave this room right Bye. now. Bye. <laughs> no, don't go Click anywhere. Right here, right? <laughs> You're not showing that. You can't go anywhere. Anyway, in Chinatown, Jack Nicholson, Ken Davis is listening. He remembers this. He might be the only other guy in Chicago who's seen Chinatown, where Jack Nicholson rips all the names out of the board, the the record book because he wants to uh, have it to uh, track down. I'm like, you can't do. It. I remember watching. You can't do that. I was like 18. You can't do that. So it's very so, trans- so transparency when transparency is convenient. That's that's the question here. Yes, very well done. Transparency when transparency is convenient. So they're all playing politics. And uh Andrea Kirsten uh, as 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 we saw was trying to get her way out of it by sort of playing politics as well. And, well, I think uh, she made a really go good uh, proposal that um, she said there are already protocols. So I'm paraphrasing. She said there are already protocols uh, around breaking to families of victims of, of violence or you know of murder, uh, breaking to them easily and uh, with compassion the news of investigative investigative reports, and she she suggested that. The, the police department implements similar protocols when talking to families of, of killed police officers. So I think that that seems like a very reasonable proposal. Yes. Very reasonable proposal. Uh, but I still think we're heading down a dangerous path. If we're going to start talking about rewriting public documents and public records uh, for political convenience, particularly well, when we're supposed to be emphasizing how we're a transparent city. Well, Kirsten, uh, to, to me, did not seem like she was proposing that. No. So to her, to her credit. Yeah, to her credit. Yes. 
There you go. That works to her. <laughs> you don't want me. You don't, give me any, you don't want me giving any credit to the mayor. I see what's going on. Yes, she doesn't deserve credit for her role in this. Nothing at all. Well, this next one might make me feel a little more sympathetic towards the mayor. I don't know. All right, go ahead. Dennis, please, are going to do cry next. Well, uh, continuing with the November 17 meeting of the full city council, um, on that same day, mayor, this wasn't at the council meeting, but on the same day, the mayor announced executive order number 2021-3, titled Establishment of Interagency Reentry Council. This multi-department effort aims to make it easier for people released from prison to return to their home communities in terms of finding jobs and other support. We're going to hear an excerpt from the mayor's press conference after the November 17 city council meeting. It starts with 27th Ward Alderman Walter Burnett, and who was followed by the mayor. Let's listen. As some of you may or may not know, I'm a returning citizen. God has blessed me to redeem myself and contribute back to society. There are so many people out in society who need those opportunities and everyone needs some help. I want to commend the mayor and the working group that I've been on trying to come up with policies to try to help folks to get their lives back together. I just want to thank God first for the opportunity to be here and stand before you and say that. But also I want to thank the mayor. She didn't have to go this far. She didn't have to work on putting something in place to make sure that folks, family members who are coming back into society get an opportunity to get some help. Alderman Burnett, every time you speak, I feel incredibly emotional. Um, You always make me on the verge of tears um, because of what a good person you are. Um, but how, how heartfelt everything is that you do. So I really, really want to tell you how much I appreciate you. So, Ben, you might recall that months ago we heard a city council speech by Alderman Burnett complimenting, complimenting the mayor on a different matter, after which the mayor said that his remarks made her cry. Now, I think it's you that called, you and others called the mayor um but hard-headed, uh, what, what are other words you used? Uh, uh, it's not someone who's given to sentiment, I guess. So in my memory, there isn't any other alderman who has made any other, any mayor, any mayor at all cry, let alone Mayor Lightfoot. And what we're getting now is that Alderman Burnett, Burnett makes the mayor cry on a regular basis. <laughs> so I just thought it was remarkable. Are, are you suggesting that those tears are of the crocodile? Uh, she sounds like variety? she means it. The two times I've heard her say it. She sounds choked up. And uh, well, I don't you know, know, you know. I don't know. We, uh, we talk quite a bit about uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's acting skills on this show. There's a, <laughs> uh, a bit that Dennis likes to p- play from last Thanksgiving. If you recall, last Thanksgiving, when the, the mayor issued all that uh, edict, uh, that we were not to have Thanksgiving dinners uh, with our loved ones. Including the phone call with mom. Yes. Was it mom? Yeah. And um, <laughs> <laughs> you know it well. And so there's that moment. 
where she's you. So you, you don't hear the other end of the conversation, which has led some people to suspect that there is nobody on the other end and that she's merely playing second reference of the day, Bob Newhart, where he's just talking into a telephone. There are some people who've suggested that. Now, I'm not saying who those people are, but there are those people who have suggested that, that it's not a real phone conversation. And then there's that moment where's that pause and the sigh. Okay. And she goes to sigh. So I'm starting to think that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is what is a bit of a thespian, isn't that what they're called, mm-hmm. actors? Uh, and uh, that she's just a frustrated uh, actor, and would like to, someday we may see her on the screen uh, performing. I, I, I gotta say this: um, I'm gonna give Walter Burnett credit for one thing. He got the order right. If you're gonna thank. Uh, things in the universe you would start with god and then go to the mayor you wouldn't i, I was for wor- for a second i was gonna worry he's gonna thank mayor lightfoot first and then get to god i go no god is greater than the mayor so thankfully he has his priorities in order thank you so, uh so, alderman burnett so it sounds like you're not giving him any credit for this no, like I, him I, being I, like <laughs> being a tearjerker uh no walter burnett um is a very interesting man but it is true he was blessed, and I do believe that he has a sense of that because he got off to a, a, a rough start in life, if you will. And uh, once he got out of prison, he's uh, he did well for himself and became the alderman of 27th Ward. I believe he's the alderman since 1993. Don't quote me in that, but for a long time. That would and, make many uh, people cry. Uh, yeah, maybe 1995. I can't remember when he was first elected alderman. It was in the 90s. Uh, and I just got to go back to something, though, from the Rules Committee which again gets at the heart of is uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot being genuine. So you said, I didn't, I was going to get to this. And then we moved to the Walter Burnett, uh, praising God and praising the mayor uh, in that order. Thank you, Walter Burnett. Good God. If you, if you had reversed it, would have, uh, there was an alderman, Claude Holman, who would thank God for Mayor Daly. This goes back to the seventies and the sixties, Claude Holman, Fort Ward alderman. He would thank, not baby daily millennials that you knew about when you were growing up, but his father and Claude Homer would thank God for having Chicago being blessed with a great mayor like mayor daily. So this is kind of a tradition of Alderman invoking the Lord when talking about mayors. Um, but, uh, that that was like unbelievable performance by Lord Life. so obviously there was an attempt by some aldermen to take uh, Andrea Kirsten's appointment. This is going back to this conversation left over from the last part of the, sh- uh, the last segment, send it to the rules committee, not deal with it then. And if you send it to rules committee, then you have to have a special the meeting of the rules committee to bring it out of rules committee. And the mayor is just outraged. And she said, uh, that people predictable. This is predictable behavior by these uh, aldermen who aren't serious, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, if you care so much about this as a, um, why do you use it? Mayors have been using the rules committees at dumping ground for years. Now the other, the aldermen uh, who are often opposed to the mayors uh, are starting to use it. Here's a radical suggestion that I'm going to throw out. A radical, radical say, and we're going to ask Dave Glowatz to take a position on this. And I love watching him squirm when I make him take a position on something. So here's a radical suggestion. How about having a legitimate rules committee, which meets on a regular basis and discusses the proposals that have been dumped there, as opposed to having the rules committee as a receptacle 
a waste paper basket where you dump things and then never empty it until it overflows. Dave, go out your thoughts. Here's a trivia question for you. How many members <laughs> of the Rules Committee are there? By the way, that was a very brilliant talk. Did you notice how effectively... That was a segue. <laughs> that was answering a question with a question. Yeah, what are you uh, talking about? I'm a journalist. I have, uh, <laughs> I have no idea how many members are in the Rules Committee. This is something I should know. Just for our listeners' benefit, you know, there are, there are you know, what, 20-odd committees and... Um, the method by which members of the city council get to be on those committees is probably something we shouldn't go into, but you know, the, the, the membership varies. Like there can be like a dozen, there could be 20. I think one of the larger committees is, um, is finance. The rules committee is the only committee of which every alderman is a member. Oh, I think I did know that, but forgot it. Yeah. That's an easy thing to forget. Cause it's like, what number? Well, it's 50, you know, 50. it's uh Yes. Yeah, so Michelle Michelle Smith is the chair. Harris. Michelle Smith is an uh, ally. Michelle, Michelle Harris. Harris, my bad. Yeah, Michelle Harris of the Do you know the board. difference between their first names? Yeah, one is two L's and the other is one. Yeah, Harris is two. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that always, oh, God, don't get me into spelling. Um, <laughs> well, you got that one right. Yeah, get, <laughs> You're on a roll. I, got, I, won't, I won't ask you anymore. Uh, and on a tangent, within a tangent, this is one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made was recently, uh, it's not funny, except it's funny. I said uh, five people were killed. I was talking about an incident that took place. Five people were killed. And then I listed the people killed and there were six. And so somebody sent me an email. <laughs> it's not funny, but it was funny. He goes, did you get your math skills at uh, Evanston High School? And I was like, yes, as a matter of fact. Um but, uh, you know, so Michelle Harris is put uh, put in charge of that committee by the mayor. Yes, the mayor selects the chairs of the committee, complete violation of separation of powers in the city of Chicago. Uh, and as such, her role is to have meetings when the mayor wants to have meetings and to not have meetings when the mayor doesn't want to have meetings so that you could use the rules committee as a burying ground, burial ground for legislation the mayor doesn't want. Uh, and yet when another alderman who's against the mayor sends one of her ideas to rules, you quickly get it back uh, to the full city council. But I so remember I'm saying, correctly that the longest it could, well, not the longest, but there is an opportunity after two months for an alderman who has a measure buried in the rules committee to find another alderman. Is that right? Find another alderman to move to have it uh taken out of the rules committee and brought before the council. Am I, am I getting that yeah. right? Yeah, you have it right. But my basic point is this, if you want to end this practice, which I think should be ended, I think you should have a legitimate debate. Yeah, it's a roadblock. Issues. Yeah. If you want to end it, then have the rules committee meet on a regular basis to review all legislation in the rules committee. And, uh, and that, at which point people will stop using the rules committee as a burial ground. There you go. But you don't criticize it when some people do it and then do it yourself. Now, that would, again, that's why you say, oh, Ben, you're so unfair to the mayor. She, those are real tears she was crying. <laughs> and that was real indignation that she was sounding when she chastised. What was it, Raylo, who sent it to the rule? I, I forgot to mention, the, the target of her ire was 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez, who reportedly is the one who uh, called out the housing committee for this appointment to go to. I was like, I'll just pick one, you know? Yeah, just <laughs> Copa, Copa, how's it? Sure, sure. Yeah, Copa Cabana, uh, one of Dave Collins' oh, favorite. Oh, there you go. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. Known. 
Of course, that's what he's thinking of. So anyway, uh, if you want to end the practice of using the rules committee as a burial ground, then have regular meetings. But you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Well, you can, but I'm going to call you on it. But that'll make the mayor cry. So, all right, let me ask you this. Oh, get ready for another duck and dodge. So what do you think is more legitimate? Her, quote, indignation at Raylo moving uh, legislation to a committee uh, to avoid discussion or her tears of appreciation uh, for Walter Burnett because he positioned her second only to God in the entire universe of of things that he appreciates. I don't think I don't think you disagree, Ben, that she was annoyed that Ray Lopez sent her appointment of Andrea Kirsten's rules. I don't think there's any, right? So you, th- you think that's more legitimate. You think that was more of a real... How could that not annoy her? <laughs> you know? I don't know. If you do the same thing, he's just doing what you do, and then yeah, you go... That's not how that works. I see. Okay. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yes, sir. Dennis, please, we're going to do staff next. Now I'd like to turn to a discussion in a November 15 finance committee meeting of a proposed settlement of a 10-year-old lawsuit brought by the American Civil Liberties Union of Illinois over how the Chicago Police Department allocates cops throughout the city. This bit starts with Finance Committee Chair Alderman Scott Wagespeck, and we'll hear Deputy Corporation Counsel Jeff Levine describe the proposed settlement. Let's listen. If you want to move on to C, Central Austin Neighborhood Association and ACLU of Illinois versus City of Chicago. This case has been pending for a decade. This case was filed in 2011. It was brought by the ACLU of Illinois, also a group called the Central Austin Neighborhood Association. The lawsuit claims that the police department is in violation of the Illinois Civil Rights Act because there are alleged racial and ethnic disparities in the time it takes to respond to 911 calls for emergency services and that these disparities are based on the population of the neighborhood or district served. The parties engaged in discovery, which was exceptionally voluminous because it uh, included enormous amounts of data from the Office of Emergency Management and Communications, uh, their computer-assisted dispatch system, a significant amount of documents related to staffing and deployment. In late 2016, the parties agreed to stay discovery and explore the possibility of settlement. During these discussions, the city entered into the federal consent decree. The consent decree's provisions relating to CPD staffing and unity of command form a mandatory overlay over other deployment considerations. The city commits to essentially three reporting obligations The first is to set a benchmark goal for providing reports of responses to 911 calls and achieving a 70% reporting rate in one year and 80% within three years. That doesn't mean responding to 911 calls 70 and 80% of the time. It means filing a report that the call was responded to 70 and then 80%. The second reporting element is consideration of equity and response times in the formulation of the new CPD staffing plan. And the third element is electronic publication of certain data relating to calls for service. 
Alderman Thompson? We're agreeing in the settlement case on something that has an impact on the consent decree. Are those reconciled? Taisha Dixon, Deputy Corporation Counsel for Public Safety. The consent decree requires that CPD undergo a pretty fulsome workforce study and analysis. This settlement would just require that CPD consider racial and ethnic disparities in doing that workforce assessment. Listeners can hear additional comments from 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez in the extended version of this episode found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. Ben, why I think this is notable, about the time that the ACLU sued the city over police staffing uh, as related to response times in certain communities, our colleague, Mick Dumkey, wrote a piece about this issue for the Chicago News Cooperative. So this is like 2011. Mm-hmm. In that piece, Dunkey wrote, quote, the department last made major alterations to its deployment strategy in 1978 when some beats were redrawn to reflect crime and demographic trends, unquote. So as far as I can tell, the police department hasn't officially changed the staffing levels of police beats since that time. However, the department is required, as we were hearing in this in this piece, to address staffing by the federal consent decree that it now operates under. But the federal consent decrees monitor had a, a report, her fourth quarter report said, although the city, quote, although the city and the CPD have made efforts to engage staffing experts to assist in developing a staffing plan, the plan had not yet been developed, unquote. Finally, I'll say that, uh, and maybe this is where you'd like to start, that moving cops from one part of the city to another as uh, is, is, you know, permanent staffing levels in particular districts has always been a political hot potato. Because, you know, some aldermen, that means that some aldermen feel ownership over the number of cops in the districts in their wards say that, no, you're not taking cops away from my, you know, from my ward. Yeah, that's, by the way, I'm really glad you included this. Uh, this is a fascinating uh piece of Chicago history that reveals so much about the sort of the, I don't know, the contradictory strands of debate that are constantly going on in Chicago. And um, I think this reveal, I would love to hear what Raylo had to say about it. I'm going to go check it out, uh, check out Inside Chicago Government, get his extended comments, or just bring him on the show and get his thoughts on it. But, um, you know, there is, I've had this debate with my friends of the defund uh, the police persuasion for a long time. And I am convinced that most people in the city of Chicago do not want the police defunded, but they want better trained police. They want uh, a police department that's more representative of the city as a whole. Uh, they want actually police that would show the common sense that Ella French showed when she walked in and quickly realized that they had the wrong house with Anjanette Young. And Anjanette Young praised Ella French. So in this particular case, think about it, Dave. The essence of this lawsuit, which was just buried in the, in the city for 10 years, was that residents of Austin wanted the same response time when they were facing a crisis as, let's say, residents of Lakeview. And uh, they weren't getting it. And so you have, it's a 
contradiction in some ways, because on the other hand, you have people uh, in the neighborhoods like Austin who say the few encounters they have with the police are unsatisfactory. They're treated like criminals when they're not. They're harassed. And so it's like on one hand, they're saying we want more police. On the other hand, we're saying we want police who are not harassing us. It depends who you ask, right? Yeah. You know, well, the, I, the ACO I, folks are, are activists trying to find equity and parity throughout the city, whereas the neighborhoods that are, quote, over-policed, unquote, don't want just more cops harassing, you know, uh, attending to them. They want cops to come when they call them. Yes, and to investigate crimes. Yes, yeah. to come when they call. And, they just don't uh, want to, like, hanging around and then stopping them. Stopping them for like reefer stuff, arresting them for something that white people are doing all the time. Or for being black. Yes. Uh, smoking reefer while being black. And so I was just co- coincidentally talking to a dear friend of mine, and I'm not quite sure she would want me to use her name. So we'll just call her Sally Sue. And uh, she uh, is leaving. She's moving out of Chicago. She's selling her home in the eighth ward and is going to move to a suburb. And part of the reason is crime. And I, Coincidentally, the day after I talked to her, my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, did a story about the decline over the last 10 years in the police, in the population of black people in the city of Chicago. And one of the things they talk about, uh, it was Austin, which has lost a significant number of its residents. And I think that just in general, the city of Chicago has been providing inadequate services to black communities. And it's not just like we talk about in terms of closing schools or closing clinics, but it's also with this disparity that's existed forever. And we wonder why, what is, I think it's 85,000 black residents. Uh, the, the population of the Chicago's uh, black community fell by 85,000. Don't quote me on that day, but I think it's 85,000 over the last decade. And uh, I think this is very revealing. Uh, this particular. And so here we are. So 2011, the well, mayor Rahm was probably the mayor when the suit was filed, right? 2011, he was elected uh, unless the suit was filed at the start of the 2011 year. Then it was David. The point is this thing is dragged on for all these years, all these terms. I, it doesn't get a lot of attention and they're finally going to resolve it. And it doesn't sound like they're going to resolve it anytime soon by bringing better trained police officers to respond uh, to Austin does not sound like that's part of the resolution. Not quite sure what, based on that jargon uh, that the uh, bureaucrat uttered at that hearing, uh, what they're going to do, but looks like they're going to resolve it one way or the other. Well, one of the ways that this might get resolved is through the consent decree. Because of the consent, as I mentioned, the consent, consent decree does have provisions for staffing, and we heard Alderman uh, Patrick Daly-Thompson of the 11th Ward talk about or ask, you know, how does this, uh, is it interfered, is it complement? And uh, we heard Mr. Levine from the law department say, well, it's sort of an overlay of what the consent decree requires. And in fact, the, um, as I read uh, from the monitors, the consent decree monitors report, the police department is supposed to address staffing to come into compliance with the consent decree, but according to the monitor's last report, has not moved on that. Now, there are other reports that say that the police department has engaged the University of Chicago Crime Lab to conduct a study, and we've read some reports, uh, unofficial reports about that, 
but so far I haven't been able to get the police department to uh, give me any information on that. Well, I, uh, I'm now thinking I'm definitely going to bring my friend on if she's going to do it, actually. And we'll talk about this issue further, because that was part of her lament that uh, there doesn't seem to be an adequate response to crime. And this has been a theory or theme uh, that I've read uh, for years. And Mick Dumkey, shout out to our dear friend Mick Dumkey, was the one uh, advancing this uh, many years ago, long before it was fashionable, that... Uh, in the absence of investigations and solving crimes, there's no accountability. And so people feel they can get away with crimes. Uh, and uh, I just contrast the amount of police uh, force and power that went into investigating Jesse Smollett uh, and his alleged, <laughs> put alleged in there, uh, crime against the city. And that's the part that just blows my mind. It's, it's almost comical the hours and hours of detective work that went in and they built this incredible case against Jesse Smollett. They had the, like they, the store where the rope was purchased and everything. Uh, and yet people in Austin are talking about response times. It's like serious crimes, shootings, et cetera, and so forth, break-ins. And so, yeah, this, um, uh, it, it just seems like our city, its priorities are askew. Uh, There's plenty is. of room for outrage. Yes. All right. What's so, next young man? Dennis, please, we're going to do Ward next. Ben, ben, as you're aware, city ordinance requires the city council to approve by December 1, which is tomorrow, a new ward map that takes into account how the city's population has shifted based on the 2020 census. Ben, can you give us a quick thumbnail of what happens if the council doesn't approve a new ward map by December 1? 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, they... Um if they don't approve a war map by, with a certain number of votes, I think it's 41, don't quote me on that, uh, then there's a referendum. And the, you, the people, the people of the city of Chicago get to determine what is the governing map. Uh, and we live through, I'm doing it off the top of my head, uh, we live through such a referendum. I don't know if, Dave, if you lived in Chicago back then. I want to say in 1992 or three. Uh, I heard you on the radio recently describing this. Yes, but I, I, I had um, my notes in front of me, and I don't have them in front of me now. So, so I look you, so prepare, you prepare for WVON? Like, <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, as we said at the start <laughs> of the show, young Dave, uh, this is all improvised. Well, you so, did ask me if we were going to talk about this. Yeah, but I didn't know you were going to throw that one at me. All right. Uh, so I think enough. it was 19. I want to, I'm going to, if I had a, if it was like a, a game show, I would go with 1992 <laughs> was the year. Uh, and so anyway, so yeah, it would be, but what I don't know, and I hope you can uh, help me out here. But I did not know, and I still don't know, is how do they choose which two maps to go on the referendum? Dave, go, let's go. Don't know. Oh. <laughs> I one thought step, you would. One step at a time. But I look for anything I can vote on. I love voting so much. I, I can't wait to get to vote on a ward map. I don't think they're going to get 41 votes tomorrow. So, All right, Well, where we're at as of this recording is the council's Latino caucus has proposed its version of a ward map. A nonpartisan group, Change Illinois, formed what it called the Chicago Redistricting Advisory Commission that created its map based on resident input, where they actually went around the city and asked people, where, you know, how do you want your... Word boundaries to be. 
And there is an effort by the council itself, led by Rules Committee Chair Alderman Michelle Harris, Michelle with two L's, that invites Alderman to go into a city council space called the Map Room, which is also a bar in Bucktown that I like quite a bit. The Map Room to create a ward map based on what each individual alderman would like to see in terms of ward boundaries. A city council meeting for today to consider ward mapping was canceled. And a rules committee meeting on the subject is taking place as we speak. A rules committee? Yes. The aforementioned rules committee is kicking in the gear. So I haven't checked in the last few minutes. It might be over by now, but it started at 1 o'clock. And then finally, two... Not one, but two city council meetings are scheduled for December 1, one at 10 a.m. and one at 1 p.m. With all that said, we'll now hear audio from a November 18th meeting of the Rules Committee that was called to question the makers of the Latino Caucus's proposed map. Let's listen. What are my numbers in 24? Please stop. (laughs) Sorry, Dennis. This starts with uh, 24th Ward Alderman Michael Scott of the South Side in an exchange... Well, you know, uh, we could have that debate. Where's the south side start and where's the west side start? Because I just saw in the newspaper, tangentially, 19th Street called uh, the west side. And I was yeah. like, what? Okay, Michael anyway. Scott is very much a west sider. His daddy was, I may he rest in peace, uh, was a west sider. And uh, uh, Michael Scott Jr., 24th Ward Alderman, uh, used to uh, run Douglas Park, little known uh, trivia. Huh. Uh, and uh, so the park district yes no lifeguards there presumably uh there may be a swimming pool (laughs) this will be an exchange between scott and a guy named frank calabrese the cartographer who created the latino caucus map and that actually is a proposed ordinance 02021-4835 and i'll note that the 24th ward borders are roughly cicero on the west kedzie on the east Harrison on the north, Cermak on the south, but it has a gerrymandered appendage on the southeast that hooks down to include pretty much just Cook County Jail. So now, let's listen. What are my numbers in 24 as it relates to this map? How many African-Americans? The 24th ward would be a 73% black ward. So you take out the the jail because you take out the hook portion. You take me further east, and the boundaries on the east side would be where? Roughly the, the medical campus. I know the further you go east, the less African-American you become. Well, correct, but there's also some very African-American areas around Middle Adams Park. What percentage of the ones that you took out were African-American out of that, that hook part? It's only the Cook County Jail. That's African-American that you took out? Correct. All right. Uh, that decreases me from 81 to about, you said to 73? In our proposal, you'd be a 73% black ward, and you would be 12% Latino, 9% white. Alderman Moore. The 17th ward, you said, was a 70% Latino population. You're going to take a 70% black ward and disenfranchise them and make it a 70% Latino ward. That's what you're telling me, right? First off, we're not disenfranchising anyone. And secondly, we're, again. Was, was, was the 17th Ward a 70% Black Ward? Yeah. And now it's a 70% Latino Ward, correct? Correct. Okay, so you're disenfranchising 70% of Black people, correct? 
respectfully, were taken into account during population shifts in the last 10 years. And so the map was drawn not as a snapshot of 10 years ago, but as a live view of the most recent census data. So 10% population was lost. Even if it was all 10% Black, which I'm sure it wasn't, you still a 60% Black population, which is a majority. And so you're basically taking a majority Black board and flipping it into a majority Latino award, disfranchisement to the Black community. We would love to get this done before December 1st. We still have time to do that. We still do. Come on in the room and join us. Absolutely. The only problem is that we got to make sure that we get in the room, that we're talking and compromising. And for a person who's done this for the second time in her career, I think that's what the map room is all about. Nobody gets what they want in the mapping when you have to move your lines and you have to move geography. Everybody's in a compromising situation. So I'm asking everybody to come in the space and compromise, but you can't compromise if we all aren't sitting in the room doing it together. So I implore you to come on in that room so that we can all get to a point where we get to 41. And I think 41 is really close. I have this policy that when you're drawing, I don't sit in until you finish. And then I'll come in and take a look, but I'm happy to sit in on anybody's mapping process that wants me to do that. I think that we're going to have a long weekend this weekend. I think we should work all weekend to get to 41. So again, I want to welcome everybody into this map room so that we can finish up this map before December 1st. Well, I have some things to say about that, but where would you like to start then? Well, I want to start by just pointing something out uh, that has nothing to do with the tapes you play, but I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, Next Tuesday, uh, uh, First Tuesday returns to the hideout, and we'll be discussing uh, the uh, new ward map. Uh, Maya Dukmasif and I will be uh, back at the hideout, so if you want to check it out, I urge you to come. Uh, Candace Castillo, uh, a brilliant uh, political analyst who comes on our show all the time, uh, will be our guest, and uh, we'll be breaking down uh, the new... We were originally going to be... T- we'll probably talk about a lot of legislative maps, but I got a feeling most of the emphasis will be on the new ward map. So first Tuesday, next Tuesday at the hideout, 6.30. I've been negligent and not doing a better job of promoting that. Um, wow, there's so much uh, to break out here. There's just so much. And uh, you're right. I was uh, with uh, the great Atibu Buchanan yesterday on his show on WVON talking about this. And just the notion that is so prevalent in the city of Chicago, David Moore, Alderman of the 17th Ward, talks about black residents being disenfranchised if they're in a ward that is majority Hispanic or Latino. And that notion gets back to this point, which uh, emerged from the civil rights legislation of the 1960s, voting rights legislation. In the city of Chicago, if a ward did not have a supermajority of black residents, then the alderman would, then the ward would probably elect a, a white alderman who would be openly hostile to the needs of his or her black constituents. And, and that is just the underlying assumption uh, in legislation that was passed uh, in Congress uh, about civil rights, uh, voting rights law. That was the underlying assumption in lawsuits filed against the city of Chicago in 1981 or 82 regarding ward maps. And then in 91 and 92, the notion that if black residents 
did not have a supermajority of black people in a ward, their rights would be trampled on. And I believe that. I absolutely believe that in the context of 1970s and the 1980s and the 1990s. I have subsequently, Dave, been following the city council and their actions for the last 40 years almost. Can you believe that? Particularly uh, in regards to the TIF program and the disbursement of economic development dollars. And I see no, absolutely no significant difference between any alderman of any color when it comes to challenging the mayor on the disbursement of money that's intended for the black community or poor Hispanic communities or blighted communities. So I, I throw this out there as a challenge, and I did it with a Tebow on his show. What difference does it make who your alderman is or what color he is or what ethnicity he or she is if they're only going to do what the mayor tells them in the first place? So there's two presumptions here. One is that, as you say, the uh, race or the ethnicity of the alderman is correlated to how much they represent a certain ethnic group in a ward. That's one presumption. And another one, which is equally um, striking to me, is that each alderman is sort of entitled to keep whatever sets of constituents they already have, which is, you know, just for round numbers, like roughly 54,000, you know, because they're trying to, to balance the, the, uh, the, the words to be roughly equivalent. And we saw that, we heard that in this clip that, you know, there's a lot of like, so you're moving me, you're moving my boundaries, you know, this is like the presumption, uh, it sounds like the presumptive on the parts of the alderman that this is my area. And what you are doing is you're doing it to me, not to my constituents. Well, David Moore actually said he, they were going to be disenfranchising uh, black residents of the 17th Ward. He used that word. They were taking away their franchise. They were going to take away their rights. I'm sorry. I think I was talking about Michael Scott. Yeah. He's using uh, that language more than David Moore does. Yeah. And, uh, but essentially... What Alderman, Alderman may invoke a great uh, theme or principle like disenfranchising black voters, but more often than not, uh, an Alderman is talking about disenfranchising them. If, so if you move precincts out of an all, a, Alderman's ward, and this is what I was talking about with the TB yesterday, that the Alderman has worked. But we were talking about this with the ninth ward, Anthony Beale and Pullman. He's very upset because the ward map is proposing to move Pullman out of his ninth ward. And if you move precincts out of an alderman's ward, precincts that he has cultivated, precincts where he knows the black leaders, precincts where he's worked with community reps and he has a strong affinity for them. If you move them out of his ward and another person's ward, you're taking away that person's base of support. Suddenly they're vulnerable. You, vulnerable, to not, vulnerable to not being reelected. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. So the person that you're disenfranchising is the alderman. <laughs> You're threatening the political existence of the local alderman. So all this is based on some level on incumbency and the desire to protect incumbency by, by the, on the part of the incumbents, right? Yeah, so well, look, I would, I would go, go, go ahead. I, I'm not going to agree to that because there's a principle that goes back to the racial history of Chicago in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, and into the '90s, in which black residents were disenfranchised. When the Daily Machine uh, and Harold Washington tried to stop this, but with the Daily Machine would pack uh, as uh, many black people uh, as it could into a handful of wards, and then uh, carefully disperse white population in such a way that white people would control the other wards. 
Republicans. Uh, and that is how they undercut the power of the black community. There's a whole history of this. And that's why this, these lawsuits were filed in the uh, 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. But I've watched subsequently uh, the changes in Chicago. And then they're not all good changes, uh, Dave, where I watch black aldermen routinely vote against the economic interests of their wards when they support the mayor on these economic development plans. I'm not even going to say TIF because as soon as I say TIF, people will stop listening. So I'll just say economic development. And so that's why I raise this question. Well, so you're, if, you're not disagreeing with me that, you know, I, first of all, I agree with your read on the history of, you know, why these, you know, protected or they're called, what do they call protected classes? I can't remember what yeah. the lingo is. That's why they existed. But today, my point was that today, the I think the the key motivator is protecting incumbency. Yes, and, and there was always an intersection between uh, incumbency uh, and these larger issues. You're absolutely correct. So, for instance, you might have two black aldermen sparring over uh, like a neighborhood or a little cluster of precincts because they're. They each claim title to the precincts. So there's not a larger civil rights or a racial issue there. It's a matter of protecting incumbent. So whenever you start dividing up a map, you're absolutely correct. Protecting incumbents becomes sort of a prime motivating factor influencing the uh, votes of the aldermen. You're absolutely uh, correct in that point. And a lot of the posturing that we're hearing in the city council right now uh, is has to do with Alderman worried about um, being um, mapped out of existence like they did uh, to uh, our, our dear friend Robert Fioretti, as you recall, in the sec- back in um, 20, was that 20? Yeah, 2011. Good God, time flies. Long time ago, second yeah. ward. Second ward. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's a lot of it. A lot of it is uh, aldermen worried about their political future, worried about their uh, whether they can get reelected. And um, that's at heart uh, a good portion of this, what this squabble is all about. So would in, in this context, what do you think about term limits for aldermen? Wow, there's a, a question I wasn't anticipating. Uh, because so if, you, if the problem is like aldermen protecting their incumbency, if they're afraid they're not going to get reelected, if you change their constituents, which, you know, take... It's like you say, these precincts that they've worked so hard at. What if you take away that motivation? Hmm. Well, you know, I am all over the map when it comes uh, to uh-huh. term limits. I was uh, vehemently opposed to them uh, for years. And then one day I went and had breakfast with Pat Quinn, and he uh, talked me into signing his petition uh, calling on term limits for mayor, which I think passed. Uh, uh, the, but uh, I think the, you raise Wait, a very that, good that point. Passed? That passed the general I, assembly. Oh, no, no, no. What happened was okay. Now it's one of my favorite tangents of all time. <laughs> I always yeah. wanted because after after Mayor Emanuel was gone, so so did Pat Quinn and his uh, his. Well, here's what happened. Petition. Uh, oh my God! Do we have an hour for me to go on this one? Because it's one of my favorite. <laughs> I think tangents. we'll make this the last. The last our, okay. Uh, so what happened was. Pat Quinn dutifully collected enough signatures to get it on the ballot. Uh, and I signed it. I think just want to let you know, uh, after spending all those years railing against term limits, just, I signed just, it. Just to be clear, this is to limit Chicago or any uh, municipality's mayor in Illinois to two terms. No, it's just to Chicago. It was just Chicago. Chicago okay. for two it. terms. And, uh, Not at all aimed at Rahm Emanuel. 
<laughs> totally aimed them wrong. Although uh, Pat Quinn will go, no, Ben, no, no, I'm uh, not just Cody Quinn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Pat. Uh, Anyway, I signed it uh, and enjoyed a delicious breakfast with Pat Quinn. It was a very enjoyable time. And I signed his petition, uh, wrote a column about it. And uh, and then ev- eventually uh, lawyers that were essentially representing Rob's interest uh, tied it up a court. I think uh, it was uh, the, the Supremes ruled against uh, Pat Quinn. Uh, and they some technicality that they used to bury this thing. But they couldn't rule on it uh before the election happened. Do you follow what I'm saying? So what the board of elections in its infinite wisdom decided to do was while this matter was being uh, adjudicated, they kept it on the ballot and we got to vote on it as a people. And then the determination was what to do with those votes. And so they just said like the votes are off the record. This is only in Chicago. (laughs) This is like, this is the mentality of this gets back to the whole thing with Andrea Kirsten. Well, we don't like what the report said, so let's just edit that out of the report. What? You're just going (laughs) to So you don't like what the election was. We're not going to tell you what. So that's why I always say whenever Pat Quinn comes on the show, I go, Pat, I'll bet you anything your referendum passed, probably passed overwhelmingly, but they won't tell us. But the, but the reports about the Kennedy assassination will come out before the reports of this vote. So um. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well put. Uh, so anyway, uh, so term limits. So term limits. I am honest. You know what? I'm going to go for a walk tonight and think about it because All you right. make a valid point. What I've argued, I've argued that. With, with the city council, I've advanced this notion and been clobbered whenever I do that. We just have a computer uh, draw the map. Just make sure fit. Don't worry about neighborhoods. I always hear about this neighborhood has to be. Why? Why does one whole neighborhood have to be in one whole ward? I don't know. look at you police know. districts. You know, I, I yeah, police, I districts are, police districts aren't really gerrymandered. They're they're pretty regular and compact, you like know. zip codes. You know? Yeah. So anyway, I, I put that out there and I always get collaborated by the alderman when I uh, suggest that. Uh, but you're essentially saying that if there's a term limit, you take out all political considerations. So they would effectively then the argument would become like what are the most uh, contiguous one of the most contiguous maps that you can draw that they they resemble something looking like a square. Which ones keep communities together so you don't just divide like West Town or, you know, uh, yeah, incumbency is just it's the it is the the, the one sort of uh, bad influence on our democracy, and I you know I grasp for <laughs> solutions and, and term limits is you know one solution that probably you know uh, there are plenty of arguments that I'd love to have with you about it at some other point, but yeah, I'm I'm just like you know that's a you, you're uh, that's a a good point. I'm gonna I'll, I'll think about that. I'll ponder yeah. it. While I'm walking tonight, maybe maybe we'll have a we'll have a segment on term limits sometime. Well, I, I don't think we're going to play any more audio, but I just want to throw one more thing at you, unrelated. Uh, something that happened recently. Um, we talked not too long ago about the uh, departure of the longtime Chicago Inspector General Joe Ferguson, and recently the person who Ferguson appointed to head the Office of Inspector General's Public Safety Section named Deborah Wurtzberg, announced that she is resigning that post because she wants to be considered to be Ferguson's replacement. And I'll just read a quote that she, uh, from her letter of resignation, she said, 
She's uh, pursuing the top inspector general's job, and she wants to, quote, avoid any appearance or concern that the work of the section, meaning the public safety section she's the head of, might be influenced by my candidacy for a mayoral appointment, unquote. So here we had what's interesting to me is we just had the inspector general uh, not get uh, his appointment renewed by the mayor for whatever reason. And then one of his top people willingly resigns so that she can run for his, she can be considered for his position. I'm just wondering if you have any comments on that. Well, did, did, did Ferguson not get, did Ferguson uh, resign his position before he was not reappointed? I know that makes no sense. I can't recall uh, well, whether he, you might recall not. we listened to Ant- Alderman Anthony Beale, the ninth ward, question him at a committee meeting, like, were you asked to stay? And the chair, Alderman Pat Dowell, tried to get him to uh, yeah. not ask that question. And but Beale did say, were you asked to stay? And Ferguson said, no. Yeah. So, so uh, he, he got the message and he, he okay. left at the end of his term. Uh, my attitude in general is that. I'm very skeptical about any mayoral appointee having any independence in this town. Uh, And the inspector general office was a joke for years and years. And then David Hoffman, uh, who was appointed by Mayor Daley uh, back in the O's, uh, was critical of the mayor's parking meter deal. Well, of staking out independence. Yeah, but, but... by being critical of the mayor's parking meter deal and enraging Mayor Daly, uh, Hoffman did two things. One, he elevated his uh, profile so much that he could run for uh, Senate. And I think he, the week, if the election campaign season had been a week longer, he would have beat, in my humble opinion, Giannoulis, but whatever. Interesting. Uh, and uh, that was back in 2010. But also he set a precedent that from there on out, the inspector general's office would be independent. Yeah, and arguably independent. Joe Ferguson, his pre- his successor took that even farther further. Yes. I think I'll give Joe Ferguson credit. I disagree completely with this letter he wrote regarding Rom, but that letter was written after Joe Ferguson had left uh, that position. And so for the most part, I say uh, that Joe Ferguson carried on that tradition of having an independent inspector general. So here we are, Dave, uh, and Lori Lightfoot uh, has just been openly expressing her irritation uh, with Joe Ferguson. And as to your point, made it clear that she wasn't going to reappoint him. Uh, and uh, so now it looks like we're heading back to the pre-David Hoffman era where inspector generals were more sort of like uh, mayoral appointees to the school board. Or think of it this way. Uh, they're more like uh, Alderman Walter Burnett in their attitude to the mayor in which the mayor is second only to God uh, in turn. <laughs> thank goodness he didn't reverse that. Uh, so they do it. Every inspector general from here on out will have to give a pledge of allegiance to the mayor. So do you think it was naive for Ms. Wurzberg, for I'm sorry, Ms. Witzberg to, uh, instead of just like sticking around and, you know, pretty much assuring that she's going to be around for a while, 
leaving and then hoping that the mayor is going to look favorably upon appointing her? I can't answer that question because I don't know what the mayor's mind is like and things like this. And uh, clearly, uh, Deborah Wurzberg is playing some uh, uh, the game as she understands how it should be played. You know, the palace game, uh, if you will. So I, I, I don't know the answer to your question on that one. Uh, I do know that um, the, the whole thing is, is, is filled with conflicts of interest. So she's trying to avoid a conflict of interest an appointment process it, <laughs> that is itself a conflict of interest because the person that appoints you is the person you kind of be investigating. And so it's sort of like, you, I, I, don't, I don't really know how you apply for such a job. And then perhaps the uh, Chicago Board of Education and Chicago Public Schools is a is a model here because the as I understand it, the Inspector General at Chicago Public Schools is not appointed by the Parks. I'm sorry, the um, the uh, CEO or formerly called the Superintendent of Schools. It's it's reports to the board, not yeah. to the. Uh, yeah, and then so you That's take the a look. I, I I hesitate to call the Chicago uh, public <laughs> schools a model, a model for, for anything. anything. <laughs> uh, but I just saw what happened with the park district where uh, Nathan Kipp was uh, the deputy inspector general doing an investigation into sexual assault complaints, and all of a sudden he was fired. No one's ever given an explanation, uh, and so more and more. Uh, it's become the fashion to uh, assign investigations to outside law firms. This is like a trend that's developing. We saw it at the Park District with um, the sexual assault case. Uh, Mayor Lori uh, Lightfoot went that route with uh, Anjanette Young. They've not released a report, but she signed a former judge uh, to take a look at that. Uh, And so uh, I feel as though that's the trend anyway. And then one of the troubling things about this was pointed out by former IG Joe Ferguson. And we listened to a while back testimony he gave at city council about this. And he said one of the uh, insidious aspects of that is that when the inspector general then comes in and wants to find out what that, you know, if they're doing an investigation on the same subject that the outside law firm is doing, he said that the administration in in one particular case uh, cited attorney-client privilege in what they, whatever records they gave to the outside law firm to justify that why they couldn't give it to the inspector general. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a, really insidious. It's an imperfect uh, system. Uh, it will even if you had it elected, I could argue. Well, maybe we should just have the inspector general as a publicly elected body in your position, so they have to run for the. Uh, I would probably ha- rather have that than what we have now. But even well, we that, we got seven thousand units of elected uh, seven seven thousand units of government in Illinois. Why not add another one? I, hey, the more the merrier. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> with elections. They were just talking about. I'm looking forward to the referendum on the Warren map. Are you kidding? Uh, and uh, so. Any way you look at it, it's an imperfect situation. And if you read Chicago history, the uh, stories of inspector generals, uh, some in some cases in the daily administry, old man daily going way back. I mean, taking phone calls from the mob. They weren't literally inspector generals then. They had a different title, uh, but they were their, their, their assignment was to rot out um, corruption. 
So we have a sordid history, to put it mildly, when it comes to objective overseers of Chicago government. And uh, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Well, and let's hope that we haven't seen the uh, the peak and now, now we're in a decline in terms of corruption busting, because that's, that's, that's a fear of mine. Yes, I think that's a legitimate uh, uh, concern to have. Uh, we just in this show, we'll close by saying in two points. One, the mayor sternly uh, reprimanding while patting on the head, uh, Kirsten. Uh, you know, do, doing two things at once, sending a that's a mixed message of itself. And then this whole situation where uh, she lets Joe Ferguson know that he's not wanted. So that sends a message to whoever's following is, oh, you better uh, polish the mayor's apple. So uh, anybody looking for that inspector general job, my first advice to you is call Alderman Walter Burnett and ask him for tips <laughs> on how to talk to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Because he knows. He knows. He knows how to talk to her in such a way that brings tears to her eyes, ladies and gentlemen. That's all you need. That's all you need. All right, uh, Dave Kloetz, thank you very much. You did an excellent job, uh, as you always do. Thank you. And, and if I may add, if uh, listeners want to hear more, they can hear an extended version of this episode at the Inside Chicago Government website, which is at shygov.com, and follow Inside Chicago, Inside Chicago Government on Facebook at facebook.com slash insidegov. Follow Inside Chicago Government on Twitter at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. And my thanks to you very much, Ben, and thanks to Dennis for all the, the tech heck. Great, great job. Yes, uh, Dennis does a great job. Thank you very much, Dave Glowatz. And again, thanks, man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy, all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Dave Glowatz, Walter Burnett, and Joe Ferguson will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.